Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, had this to say about a hurried, busy life. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let that sink in. There are many ways to make sure that you stay on top of your daily schedules. There are all kinds of new technology, new things that we can keep up with what's going on in our lives. And, you know, we can have everything at the tip of our fingers or in our hands with our phones. But it does not matter what the amount of technology or things that you use, nothing can really help with a schedule that is too full. Can I get an amen? Or is it just me, right? This week we're going to look at Scripture and we're going to try to find some from Scripture practical steps that can help us with a busy schedule, practical steps that can help us when our, our um, calendar, our, our lives, our schedule seems like a train wreck. And I've asked Spencer and the worship team to sing a special this morning to help us frame this study and to help us to get a frame of mind to help us to think about our busy schedule. So I'm going to ask them to sing that at this point in time. He said I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me and a moment came to stop me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet times. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? He said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And man, and I love deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend, friend a friend would like, like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year, I lost my dad. Well, I. I finally read the good book and I took a good long hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds. On a bull named Fu Manchu And man, I loved deeper And I 
spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Like tomorrow was a gift and you got eternity to think about what you do with it. What did you do with it? What did I do with it? What would I do with it? Skydiving, I went. Rocky Mountain climbing, I went. 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And man, I love deeper and I spoke sweeter and I watched an eagle as it was flying and he said someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying 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 well thank you guys so much uh, for doing let's give them a round of applause for that Probably not the newest contemporary gospel song, but I think it definitely has a great meaning to it, and, and uh, you get the picture. Now, personally, I've been skydiving. I love to skydive. Uh, we're trying to do it about once a year right now, but I am not Rocky Mountain climbing, and uh, some bull man named Fu Manchu and I are not going to come into contact with each other, so I don't know where you fall in all of that, but the point of the the song is uh, very clear that uh, we need to sometimes take a look at the priorities in our lives. We need to take a look at what our schedules are filled with, uh, what is going on, and how we are living our lives. This morning, we're going to continue our series called Trainwreck, and essentially, Trainwreck is just a popular phrase, uh, popular in our culture right now, to describe something or someone that is pretty much out of control. And our schedules can be that way. Chaos is often associated with this phrase, train wreck. So this series, in this series, we're talking about parts of our lives that might be out of control. Uh, last week, Ron was able to talk to us about the family and our family situations and, and when our family lives can be a train wreck, can be out of control. And today, we're going to take another step in the process, taking a look at our schedules and how we handle our schedules, which is an area in all of our lives that I think sometimes gets a little bit chaotic and can definitely, from time to time, be out of control. Corey Ten Boom was quoted as saying, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Now, what's the, what's the first thing that most people will say when you ask them how they're doing, of course, they'll say, well, I'm doing well, or hey, things are great, or whatever, but they'll say something like, well, it's really well, but I'm just too busy, right? 
it's too busy. You get that all the time. People's answer, that's my answer so many times is, man, everything's going great, it's just busy. And, and then I'll tag on, it's a good busy, but it's, it's busy. And that's the way we live our lives. Now, you might be sitting out there thinking, well, I don't know if that's me or not. So I came up with some things that might kind of be qualifiers for you to see if you're going to fall in a category that we're talking about today. How would you know if you qualify, okay? Here's three things that maybe you can look at and think of. If you move from one checkout line to the other because it's shorter, you might be too busy. Uh Uh-huh, some of you do that. When you find yourself coming up to approaching a stoplight, you begin counting the cars and then switch lanes accordingly. Yeah, mm-hmm. When you multitask to the, to the point that you forget one of the tasks, you're too busy. I think everyone is busy. You know, young people are busy. In, in school, there's so many things going on. Our older people are busy. Uh, kids in, uh, young people in college, college kids are busy. Retired people are busy. Republicans are busy. Democrats are busy. Everybody is just busy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one who still uses the hard copy calendar. Anybody with me? Anybody still use the old hard copy? Yeah. I want to be able to see my day. I want to be able to see the week at a time. I want to be able to see an entire month at one time to know what's going on and what I'm looking at, at doing. I check my calendar in the evening before I go to bed uh, to look at the next day to kind of get my thought process on what I have coming up the next day, and I get up in the morning and I check my calendar to make sure I can review what I have going on that day. I have this fear that I'm going to miss an appointment or a meeting or, or something that I'm supposed to be doing. But the truth is there's no fancy way or quick fix to deal with a schedule that's just too full. There's no easy way to deal with it. I've lived that life. Maybe some of you in here today know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not appealing. And it is indeed a train wreck. And the reason we're talking about our schedules today, and I want you to get this, because it's not just all about you. It is, you know, it's helpful if you can get your schedule straightened out. But but why we're really talking about it is a full schedule and one that is too full and one when you are too busy has the most effect on the people around you, on the people who are closest to you. They are the ones most directly impacted by your schedule and your time management or mismanagement skills. So I want to share with you this morning a few things that I think we can glean from the Bible, uh, what the Bible has to say about us maintaining a manageable schedule uh, rather than one that's a chaotic train wreck. And the first thing that I want us to look at, and, and if you have the outline, is to find Sabbath rest. So important to find Sabbath rest. If you have your Bible with you today, you can turn to Genesis 2. I know last week Ron uh, spoke through Genesis quite a bit because he was talking about uh, our family patriarchs, and and he was talking about uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and some of the train wrecks and their family situations or whatever. Uh, Today I want to begin in the second chapter of Genesis because I think it's going to give us some groundwork of what we want to be talking about and teaching today. What is the first step that you can take toward reevaluating your schedule and helping then to, to, to you uh, being able to live a life that is healthy? And I think it's quite simple. And I think the Bible tells us, and I think the first step is to, uh, to find a day of Sabbath rest. 
find Sabbath rest. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says he rested from the work that he had done. He rested. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking like, okay, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that the the almighty, all-powerful God had to rest because he was tired? Of course not. It's not what the Bible is telling us at all. Matter of fact, Jesus says in these words in John 5, 17, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are giving Jesus a hard time because he's just uh, performed a miracle on the Sabbath day. And, and they're trying to use that against him. And Jesus says this in, in John 5, verse 17, says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So how can this be? How can we have a verse in Genesis that says that God took a day to rest and now we're in the New Testament and Jesus is saying, my father is always at his work and I too am working. It would seem that those are in conflict and a lot of people like to take verses like that and say that the Bible can, you know, it contradicts itself. And that's not what happens at all. This is a very interesting thing that we can do in Scripture. We can take two verses that seem to have even a little bit of tension between them and we can look at them and we can look at the context of what they are telling us and what they mean and we can glean so much and learn so much from doing it. And when we do that with these two verses, we see that God is not resting because he's tired from doing the work that he had been performing. Instead, he seems to be putting into motion a model for us to follow. He's putting into motion a model that he wants us to follow and a way of life that he wants us to live because he desires for us to become more and more like him each and every day. So that we have the creator of the entire universe showing us what it's like to take a break from our work. He shows us that if we can stop, that that if, if he can stop working, then we should be able to do the same. There was a time in my life when I was the assistant principal at Jennings County High School, at the same point in time, I was the boys' varsity basketball coach and also the uh, varsity girls' fast-pitch softball coach. Uh, during that time frame that I was the assistant principal, boys' basketball coach, girls' fast-pitch coach, a friend of, of mine, uh, Todd Hearn, and myself, we decided that it was also time for us to enroll in classes and start working on both our master's degree and our administrative license at the same time. So we enrolled, and each evening we would go to Indiana University Southeast down in New Albany uh, to work on those degrees and to take those classes. And so my routine would be that I'd get up in the morning and go to the gym and open the gym up at 6 a.m., and allow for my pitchers and catchers in softball to be get, getting reps in so the pitchers could work on that. And our basketball team at that point in time, we used 6 a.m. mornings to do all of our strength and conditioning. 
because I was one of those coaches that believed I couldn't, I didn't have enough time to get all of that in during the two-hour practice after school. We needed to work on the X's and O's of basketball, so we needed to do our strength and conditioning at 6 in the morning so that we could actually work on the basketball in the afternoon. So we would do that, all of that at 6 a.m., and then we'd go into our daily routine. I would do the, the duties of being an assistant principal, and after school, we would go into the gym for basketball practice. After practice, Todd and I would get in our vehicle and we'd drive to New Albany for classes that most of them ended uh, in the evenings around 9 p.m. Uh, each night. So depending on whether we took time to eat on the way home or get home, we sometimes got home in that 10, 11, even close to uh, midnight range. And then we'd try to get some sleep and then get up and start that routine again the next day. During that season of my life, um, I operated on about three or four hours of sleep a night. And felt like that was all that I needed at, at that point in time. And, and uh, we managed. We got along. But I also felt like for what I was doing on Monday through Friday, the only way that I could properly prepare for practice and the only way I could properly prepare for the games was to use Saturday and Sundays to do all of the practice planning, uh, all of the game, the film watching, uh, to do scouting reports and that type of thing. So I stayed really busy on Saturdays and Sundays as well. By the way, during this time of my life, I was also in the Kiwanis Club, served on the Jennings County United Way board, and was the president of the Jennings County YMCA. You tell me. You, I mean, all Sandy had to do was raise three kids at the time. I mean, uh, I mean, really, I mean, it's pretty easy for her, right? You tell me what kind of a husband and what kind of a father that I was truly being. A life of busyness. Maybe you can relate with this season in my life. And you know, during a time like that, you can get the best night's sleep that you think you can possibly get and still wake up exhausted. You ever been there? Got a great night's sleep, but man, I'm, still, I'm still exhausted. Why? Because you haven't made time for Sabbath rest. You haven't taken time to take that step of faith and commitment in your Christian life to go by the model that God gave us of truly taking time for Sabbath rest. A rest of pausing from the work that you do the other six days of the week, five or six. But it means really stopping and slowing down. It can even mean doing something that you're really not regularly used to doing, something that you consider to be more easygoing, something that is enjoyable and more fun to do, but something that's more laid back and different from your busy schedule. Sabbath rest is an act of faith, which means that it isn't easy. It's not always easy to do, and it can be a bit overwhelming. That's why I feel so blessed to be involved with the leadership of this church and, and the leadership of our school because they see that and, and they give me another day of the week in order to take off to be able to do those things. They see the importance of what that is because, you know, you think, well, it's Sunday's the day of rest and that, that's true for a lot of people, but like for Ron and ministers and, and those of us, it's also a day of work. So it's very important that we get that other day, and I'm so blessed to be in a, a church and school that sees that and, and gives us that day. But I want you to know and understand that this kind of rest can radically change your life. 
And, and it's, it's so weird because it doesn't make sense. You know, you're saying we're so busy. We've got so much to do. I've got a business to run. You know, we got the, the, it's not going well right now at work, and we need to put more time in this. I need to practice more at, the, at my skill, at my, at my basketball or what, volleyball or musical instruments or what. i got to get it done. i got to get it done. It doesn't make any sense to say to take a day off from doing that, and I'm going to benefit from it. Well, I don't know about you, but I, 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 I look back on my life and I think of all the times that even leading up to uh, when I was growing up or, or younger or whatever, and, and it was time to go to church. And, and quite, quite frankly, there were times when I woke up, like during my college years, that I really didn't feel like I wanted to go to church that morning. But I can honestly tell you this, and I want you to, to test it to your own life as well. I can never think of a time when I went ahead and went and I took the time to go to church and worship the Lord that I ever felt bad about it. That I ever felt worse about it. That I ever felt like I was more tired because I got up early enough to do it. I can't think of a time when that's happened. And it reminds me that some people say, well, man, I'd love to get more involved, but I'm just too busy. And I'm thinking, you're too busy to give a little bit of time to God, but sure enough, as your week goes on and you get, you get backed into that corner or you get in that rock in a hard spot, you're going to go to that same God and you're going to ask Him for His help. And I pray for your sake that He didn't say, Kendall, I'm a little busy right now. I want to take some time off time away sabbath rest this type of rest can radically change your life and change your schedule and i know that stepping out in faith can feel awkward but biblically we can see that we've been shown the model and we know that it works and we must choose god over other things in our lives we invest our best in the things of god and then he takes care of the rest so the first thing we need to do is find Sabbath rest. The second thing is to invest in time with God. We need to invest in time with Him. It's one day to use a, a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, and a day uh, to just totally worship Him. But it's also, we have to do things as well. And if you see, I have two glasses up here. It's easy to see. I think that one of them is about half full with water, and one of them doesn't have any water in it at all. And the whole thing to think about here is if I, if I want to give my body something and I, I need some nourishment or I need some fluid in my body and, and I try to drink out of this one, I'm not putting anything into my life at all. And here I at least have a half cup of water to do it. Because the point of the matter is whatever you pour into yourself, that is what's going to be available for you to use when you need it. And so if you're going to choose to live a life where it's not so important on a daily basis to take time to spend with God, whether it be in your Bible reading, your Bible study, your meditation, your prayer, and you just want to push that off because you're busy with doing other things, just know and understand that when you come to a time where you need to pull from that, you haven't poured enough in to be able to have it to come back out. We need to invest in time with God. And I'm not here this morning just to tell you that you need to read your Bible more. I, I can tell you to do that and we can even get together and do a lot of that and really all of that is going to do is make us a little bit uh, more knowledgeable, give us a little bit more head knowledge uh, that maybe never truly sinks into our hearts. I, I want to go deeper than just that. 
I want to truly uh, prepare us to live lives that we totally give a time frame to God in our lives. I want to direct you to a single verse in Psalms. Uh, Psalm 84, verse 10. I think this is a verse that can radically reshape the way you think about your time that you invest with God, especially in relation to where it fits, where he fits into your schedule. Psalm 84.10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But I want us to think of it this way. We all know that there, most years, are 365 days in a year, right? Common knowledge. That means that a thousand days, as the writer is talking about here in Psalms, a thousand days would be the equivalent of pretty much three years of time. Three years of time. Now, in three years of time, you know, if you go to college and you really work at it, I know people who have gotten their bachelor's degree in three years of time. Um, you could work on it and definitely get a master's degree in three years. There's a lot of doctorate degrees you could get in three years as well. In three years here at Columbus Christian School, your son or daughter or grandson, granddaughter, one of our students can go all the way through their middle school years in three years of time. That means that if you would just eliminate that time frame, they would go from a fifth grader to a ninth grader. Just want to scratch that out. To put it in perspective of the time frame that we are talking about. In three years on a presidential election year, in three more years, we're getting close to being able to have another election for a president and some of the other um, officials as well. Three years is a long time. And the writer of this verse, the writer here in Psalms is completely convinced that a single day a 24-hour period of time is greater than a thousand days of doing anything else you want to do. Let that sink in. A single day spent with God in His courts is better than a thousand, is better than three years of doing anything that you find fun or enjoyable in your life. Wow. So I need to ask you, more so than an entire day with God on the Sabbath day, we covered that. More so than that, does your day consist of any time with God? Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like you are at the end of yourself. Maybe you feel like that um, your life is just at such a fast pace and you are just so drained. You feel drained. Your schedule's full. You're still trying to make time for your family. Maybe even you do even take a day or two off throughout the week when you try to do some other things, but you're still drained. How can that be? How can it be? Well, like the glasses, these cups that we talked about just a moment ago, it's all about what you and I are pouring into our lives. This rhythm of investment with God has to be a daily decision. It has to be a thing of priority. We talked in uh, Sunday school a while ago, our Bible study a while ago, that when, it comes, when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove, 
you have time to do the things you want to do. When it really comes down to it, everyone has time to do the things that you want to do. So this investment of time with God is an important thing. Maybe it happens for you when you wake up in the morning. Maybe it doesn't happen for you when you wake up in the morning. But maybe it should. Maybe instead of the first thing you do is grabbing your phone and looking to see if you had any messages over the night or you get ready to, to scroll through your Facebook or your Instagram or, or that type of thing. Maybe it's that you get up and you walk over and grab the Bible and just spend that first few minutes with the Lord in the morning. Or maybe it needs to be an evening activity for you because of your schedule and the way your life operates. The work day's finished, and so prior to going to bed, you take time just to close your day out, spending time with God. There's so many different things you can do. I choose to subscribe to uh, Caleb's Verse of the Day and a couple of other online devotions because we spend so much time on these phones, do we not? Wow, I, you, you guys, I, I think um, Bible study people were a little bit, uh, they looked at me like, are you kidding me? I don't know if any of you follow your screen time, or, or your phone does it for you if you want it to tell you what it is, but I'm guessing, although you don't know it, that most of your screen time, most of the time your face is in front of this screen on your phone between three to four hours a day. Mine was last week was four hours and ten minutes a day that I spent on this thing. So I make sure I've got devotions that are going to pop up on that phone so, so that I can look at them. I, I try to spend a little bit of time in the mornings going through those devotions and doing that. I get the opportunity in the mornings to try to do some study for our Wednesday night and Sunday morning Bible studies. And then I'm blessed to be in a position where when, when I have a week like this to prepare for a message or the revival that Ron and I have coming up, and you know that's going to be five messages in one week that I have time to really prepare for that. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't give up that time for anything in the world. It, it, it just, it, like this message today is, is, this is so much about me and maybe not so much about you. It's kind of sad that, you know, and it, I'll get him back. But why Ron gave me this week uh, to talk about a busy schedule and a life that's too full. I mean, I, you talk about beating somebody up. I've beaten myself up all week just trying to prepare for you guys. And, and I just want you to know, I'm just sharing with you some things that work for me. That might not be for you. It might look different for you. I'm simply advocating for you to try something. I'm simply advocating for you to take that step of faith and create a day, a Sabbath day, and honor that Sabbath day and create time each and every day to give to God. I, I mean... Uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about a 10% tithe. And I know that's talking about money or whatever, but we, all, we all, all the time talk about how can we give to God. And we can give through money, but we can also give through our talents. We can also give through our resources. We can also give to our time or give our time. So if you went by that 10% theory, and we have 24 hours a day, I should be able to give 2.4 hours a day to God somehow. But how many of us do that? Well, mo probably most of us, and myself included, we fall into this category that it's been a really busy day and we've put some things off and I really haven't had the time to give to God that I want to, but, but I'm going to pray to him right now before I go to sleep. And, and I lay down and I start praying and next thing you know, before five minutes is up, you've already fallen asleep. 
right? And I wonder if he just doesn't look at us and say, really? That's it? I gave you 24 hours today to invest, and that's it? How do we invest our time with God? So in addition to that, there's one more practical step that I want to offer you today, and one that Jesus shows us even before he begins his public ministry and the three years that he spent in ministry here on earth. And it's simply this, give God your schedule. You know, if we find Sabbath rest and we're giving him time each and every day, let's just give him our schedule. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 to 49 is what we're going to look at if you want to turn to that. But scholars tell us that Jesus, and we can read it, I mean it's in the, it's in the Bible, but Jesus was on this earth for um, about 33 years prior to his death and resurrection. And from what the Bible tells us, uh, he spent about three of those um, performing miracles, you know, working miracles, teaching crowds of people, healing the sick, doing those things in his ministry. And the scriptures tell us very little about Jesus' life up until that three years of ministry. But we do get this in Luke. If you turn with me to Luke 2, beginning with verse 41, we get this part when he was still a, a little boy, a 12-year-old boy. It reads this, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. That gets you in jail today, by the way. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They've lost Jesus for a day. They don't know where he is. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Catch that last statement. Jesus had to be in his father's house. One of the other translations says it this way. I should be involved in my father's affairs. Listen. This truly is the foundational key to taking your schedule from a train wreck to one that's a, a manageable calendar. Maybe the action step that you need to take today is very, very simple, yet extremely hard to do. Give your calendar to God. Let Him fill it out. Let Jesus fill out your schedule. And see what that looks like. And I know it's hard to do. There are deadlines that we have to meet. There are family obligations we have to tend to. Uh, there are things that come up at the last minute that just have to be addressed and taken care of. But I'm talking about before those things even happen. Before you make a list. Before you make out your calendar. Before you craft out your schedule. 
Maybe we begin by laying it down at the feet of Jesus and say for the first time, Jesus, you get to call the shots. You get to make my day. You get to arrange my schedule. And I know that this too is a giant leap of faith. But I think it's a necessary one if we want to get our chaotic schedule off our plate, under control, and in the hands of God. And I believe that if we practice it enough, it'll change our lives. I believe it'll change who we are. And I trust that if we will do it, I trust that God will meet you there. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So as we get ready to wrap up here today, and as you get ready to take these thoughts with you, as you hopefully press into him, press more and more into him, leaning on him, giving him more of your time, your priorities will begin to shift. You'll be about your father's business. And then you will start intertwining the work of God and the ways of God into everything in your daily schedule. And people will notice it. Coworkers will notice it. Family will notice it. And God will be blessed by it. You'll finally have time for a Sabbath day each week. You'll set aside time each day for investing time with God and leaning on God's word and building your relationship to him as you get closer and closer to him. That is how we can find peace in the midst of a chaotic life. In the midst of life in the fast lane. It's how you can get control of a schedule that's a train wreck and make it a manageable one. How? You give it all to him. You give it to him. Now, I have no idea what that looks like for you. I, I, I don't know what you need to do or change in your life in order to make those things happen. I don't know where you are in your life, what you need to adjust, how you need to frame all of that. I've just shared with you a little bit about my life and about some of the things that I try to do and what has seemed to be working for me. But seems how you and I are different, I wouldn't expect you to do it the way that I do it. But with that being said, I hope that you can see the principles that we can glean from Scripture, the principles that we can take that uh, the Lord has given us in these practical steps, very easy practical steps that can take a schedule that's a train wreck and make it a manageable one. Because if you do it, you might just go from surviving to thriving. And remember... If rest was important for God and for him to show us the model of how to do it, you know, many of our scriptures, time and time again we read, it starts off and it says, and Jesus got up the next morning before dark and went off by himself to pray. That's pretty much a model, is it not? If it's that important, Someone once said, they put it this way, they said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. <laughs>
The Sabbath was made for man. So today, consider taking a step of faith. Consider cultivating a life that will bring you and those around you a life of blessing and joy. Because I truly believe this. Hurry is incompatible with love. Hurry is incompatible with love. Hurry doesn't give us the time in our lives to stop and show and share the love to others that we need to do. Jesus, again, was the example for how to do that. You, you, you ever notice he, he did everything that he needed? The things he did, if we outlined his three years and what was accomplished in those three years and how much had to happen on a given day or a week, but he never seemed to be in a hurry, did he not? When did he ever hurry? He was on the way to, to Jairus' house to, to help, and some lady pulls on his clothes and he just stops and takes time to talk to her and heal her and take the time to go off on a different route if he needed to to go to the lady at the well in another area because he needed to take the time to get up in the morning to go pray. He was the model of what we're talking about. And we know that God is love. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, it's simple. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're really going to do that the way we should do it and in a Christ-like way, a hurried life is not the way to do it. Because hurry and love are incompatible. C.S. Lewis once said, how you respond to an interruption is who you really are. Ouch. I don't know about you, but interruptions can irritate me. I don't have time for them. I'm busy. How you respond to an interruption is who you really are. How did Jesus respond to interruptions? We need to be more like Jesus. And that starts with giving your life to him. There might be some of you in here today that have never given your life to Christ. There may be some that saying, what are you talking about? Spending time or giving time to him or whatever. And you just really don't have an understanding of that. But something's pulling and tugging at your heart today. And you know that you really need to take that step. And uh, man, you, you want to get out of that fast-paced life cycle. And you would really like to have a life that we've been talking about. If that's you today and you want to come up and we can pray with you about that, we'd love to do that. If you're to the point where you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and your Savior. We'd like to walk you through that as well. If you're watching online, you can simply text READY to our connection number. We'll get a hold of you and talk to you that way as well. If that's you today and you want to make that step, I pray that uh, you won't walk out of here without accepting that call from, from God and meeting Him. But probably most of you are a lot like me in my study this week, and I just needed to really look at my life and reprioritize those things that I'm doing and how I'm living and things that I'm putting my time and effort into. I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to just giving Jesus my schedule and say, you fill it out. I'm tired of doing it. You fill it out. If that's you today, I, I pray that during this song of invitation, you'll find time to just uh, have that conversation with him and reprioritize your life to make him first and foremost and let him lead your schedule.
and your daily walk with him. If you're here and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to talk to you about being a member of East Columbus Christian Church as well. But let's stand. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a, a song of invitation, and then we'll close. Let's pray.